In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars, one oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. And this is episode 14. Joining me today is my riveting co-host, Patrick Pister. How are you doing today, Patrick? Excellent, Mark. How are you doing? A little tired. I had a client meetings on the West Coast. I had to fly back home. They had some plane mishaps. Um, and I have hats off to Southwest Airlines. They jumped through a b- bunch of hoops, and they got me home. But it was like 2 o'clock in the morning, so a little sleepy, but just glad to be home. How's the weather over there in, in San Francisco? Uh, God, uh, Patrick, it was crazy. So they were complaining about the heat wave. And I literally dressed in a full suit and tie and walked from my hotel to the office and not one drop of sweat. It was 59 degrees. I don't want to hear about it. Our AC went out (laughs) last week. We've been suffering through some some hot nights at our house. Yeah, and we have a guest. Hey, Ross. Hey, how are you guys? Thanks for inviting me over. Oh, we're doing very good. So this is Ross Pratt. Ross, who are you with? So I'm with a company called ATPI. We're a travel and logistics company for the oil field industry. Wow. So, Patrick, what do you think we're going to talk about today? I think we're going to talk, talk about travel safety. <laughs> I'm pretty sure our audience knows ATPI. If you work in oil and gas, you've touched ATPI at some point. I know throughout my career offshore, I've, I've had ATPI schedule and reschedule and help me out. Yeah, we, we handle most of the major drilling companies around the world. So we handle more crew movements than anybody else. About 75% of our business is actually what we call mission critical, and it's getting people to and from work. So we are the major producer around the world in the oil field for getting people on and offshore, getting them to and from the, basically what we call door to deck. Yeah, Ross, how long have you been doing this? Uh, about 10 years. Yeah, I bet you got some stories, don't you? Yeah, I've been <laughs> in some strange places. You know, as we all know, the oil field does not operate in, you know, Cancun. It's operating, <laughs> you know, some of the worst places in the world. So getting to and from has some, some very critical pieces of information that, especially new people that are coming into the industry and, you know, with the, the issues around the great crew change and, and getting the younger people engaged in the oil field, even though the downturn's happening, you know, we're seeing more and more young people join in, not just from the operator side, but from the E&P side and, the, you know, the company men and women that are out there that are coming on and offshore are younger and younger every year. And educating them from the things that are happening around the world is very difficult for companies. Yeah, so let's kind of explore that a little bit. So if you're a young person and you're thinking about entering the oil and gas industry in some shape or fashion, you're going to have to travel. At some point in your career, you travel. What's some of the top things young people should think about when they're traveling for work in oil and gas? Uh, be as inconspicuous as possible. You're going to some of the worst places in the world where people don't have your best interests, especially if you're American, especially if you're uh, female, especially if you're wearing a lot of logoed apparel and you work for a major oil company that they know that they can it attracts a lot of attention in the third world countries and places where they're not there to support the oil industry but to to basically profit from it and that's something to think about because every oil company gives you a bag when you hire on or at some point you get a bag with their logo and you don't think about going overseas but where oil and gas is a prominent source of revenue for the country they know what companies are working there. And when they see that logo, yes, I, I believe you, it does make you a target. 
Yeah, and I, you know, one of the one of the comments I when I speak at a lot of these safety conferences and the Global Congress on Travel Risk and things, we talk to people about not being a NASCAR, right? You don't want all the logos all over your body. You've got your hard hat, you've got your backpack, your sweater, your your travel bags. Everything has your logo on it, and that's probably the worst thing you can do, is to make yourself conspicuous. You know, we've had to re-educate a lot of the uh, ground logistics people as well around. You know, don't hold up a big sign that says, hey, I'm picking up someone from Halliburton, things like right. that. Those are, those are not <laughs> the best things in the world. So we've started to have to engage in providing logistics information prior to the trip where here's a photo, kind of like Uber, honestly. Here's the guy that's going to pick you up. Think about it. In, in the United States, we have more safety around getting in an Uber than you do when going to West Africa to get a ride to the helicopter to go offshore. I mean, you, you know who's supposed to pick you up in Uber. You have a picture of the person. You have their license plate. Well, there's a guy standing out there that could have a Halliburton sign or whatever company you want to put on it. And there you go walking up to the guy, and he could just be some random person that's trying to pick up people and kidnap them and go off to wherever they want to go, and you're, you're stuck. I mean, and that, that engages now your, your whole, you know, kidnap and ransom programs and things like that within your company. You've disappeared. Yeah, and that's actually one of the things I was going to bring up. So what we're literally talking about is there are people out in the world that realize that if they kidnap an oil and gas employee, they can get easy money. Some place in the world, they call it credit card kidnapping because what they want is a credit card number so they can get their money, <laughs> put it in their bank account, and then they let the person go. It's just not a safe place to be. So besides not being a walking NASCAR, uh, <laughs> what else young people should think about as they travel for oil and gas? Yeah, I mean, I think they really need to do some research before they go. You know, we, what we provide our clients is with destination intelligence, risk assessments of the area, cultural information about the country, things they should do business practice-wise. So if you go into Singapore, you need to know you're not going to chew gum in Singapore. Simple things that people don't yeah. understand. Don't tell, use. Tell them why, Ross. What yeah, it, it's an insult. I mean, it's basically, you know, you're, you're doing that. You don't have, you know, you don't put in your presentations or things like that, that an elephant with the trunk you know, turned down, things that are there. You know, if you go to Brazil, what are the customs around eating dinner? You're going to eat really late at night. You're going to have very <laughs> so long. plan accordingly. You, know, yeah. you just basically don't try and get out of there. You need to hang out and make sure that you're doing what you need to do. So understanding the cultures that you're going to do a lot of pre-education. We work a lot with our clients uh, from our account management side, helping them in the onboarding process, giving them the tools and the technologies that once you request a trip to go somewhere or you're scheduled from your admin or you're scheduled from your crew coordinator to go somewhere, it automatically sends you a link to a, a website that you can go to and learn about all this information. Get the safety risk. What shots do you need? What are, what are recommended things? Where's the nearest hospital? What, do you, what is the currency conversion? What's the weather like? We have people that go to places and they think, oh, I'm just going, you know, you're going to Argentina. It's a different it's a different weather system than we have right. in the United States. You think, oh, I'm just going south. You don't think about it. So people just don't know. And, you know, in the millennial generation, you know, this is the most protected generation in history. They've been brought up where someone's done everything for them. So giving them the education before they travel is so vital to protect them. And the company's liable and responsible for them as soon as they step out of their home. I mean, they're, the duty of care of companies around the world, whether they're oil and gas or corporate or whatever, the company's liable. So making sure you've been audited, you're, you know, you have an audit trail to show that you've done the duty of care to protect these people. You've sent them the links, you've sent them the education, even if it's an educational seminar that they have to validate online and, and say they've taken it. You know, you have to make sure you're doing those things. Speaking of millennials, a lot of the young people that come in this industry, they don't understand degree. There's a difference in degree of danger between going to uh, 
North Africa than going to Australia, right? And even though the cultures are different, some parts of the country of the world are very dangerous to live and work in. Other other parts of the world are actually totally safe. Yeah, and it and it's also still there's still a lot of although the technology is there that I can actually track someone with GPS in their phones and I can know where they are. You run into all the data privacy acts and things like that. So it has to be a two-way street, right? The traveler has to be willing to engage and accept the help of the company as well. And that's a big challenge. People don't want to know, I'm going to go out afterwards, I'm going to experience the life and the culture in this country. I don't want my company to really know that, so I'm going to turn this off. Well, now you're stuck. You know, Now you're stuck somewhere and you're in a bad situation. The people that are there to protect you and can help you, your company, don't have any clue where you are. So you talked about what to do when you're when you're traveling and, and you have a lot of prep time. What's the bare minimum you need to do if your office told you go home, pack. You're on a flight tonight to somewhere. Just you're going to some un, unknown country you've never been before, but you've got a 12-hour notice before you go. What what is the bare minimum you need to have in your head on your person before you go? Definitely have a printed copy of your itinerary in case your phone doesn't work. So have something printed that shows exactly where you're supposed to go, when you're supposed to be there. Know the time zones. Uh, leave a copy, a, a photograph copy with your spouse or someone in your family or an admin of your passport in case it gets stolen or lost. That's huge. Somebody, when, when we bring, when we onboard people, we actually get a copy of their passport, of their driver's license. We put it in a file and store it. Now, that may not be right for every company and their data privacy, but I'll tell you what, um, I've had it happen where I left my wallet on a plane and my passport on a plane and had nothing. And you can't even check into a hotel. So, I mean, having copies of your documents somewhere safe that you can call somebody, whether it's within your company or your personal life, that's huge. And let someone safe, not Facebook, not Instagram, not all these places, let someone else know your itinerary, set up a plan on when you're supposed to check in with them and make sure you're doing it. I shouldn't post that I'm going to be gone for three weeks on a business trip to, to Facebook. Not, not if you don't want your house to come home and be a lot less full of stuff. That's for sure. So Ross, it's um. So we've talked about the dangers. We've talked about travel, but there's a flip side to it as well. So when companies, when all companies need a mobile workforce, implementing travel is a make or break. That project's either gonna hit or hit its milestones, or it's not based upon getting those people there. Can we talk about that a little bit? What's some of the things that companies don't think of when they're thinking about having to move a workforce around the globe? I think they really, you know, we're from a global perspective. Companies have a global concept. Um, we've kind of started, to, and in our industry, the word "glocal" um, has come about. Global is great, and it's a, it's a baseline of the minimums that need to be had within your program. But there's so many nuances on the local environments, the local cultures, the local travel things that need to happen, like going to Brazil, inter, intra-Brazil travel around buses and trains and things that we would never think of in the U.S. So understanding your local needs as a company and understanding that your travel provider needs to look at that help talk to those people and be able to build up an extension of your global policy and your global protocols to take into account the nuances on a local level because what happens is if you don't get buy-in locally you don't get support and they go renegade so they'll go off and do a local agency and now you're totally off the grid and you're not focused on that so Definitely taking a global approach will be a big part of success in gaining buy-in from the world around your travel, pro- travel program as a company. So, Ross, if, um, if you know, some of our listeners, maybe their company's just entering the oil and gas industry, they're growing, whatever, and they want to look at best practices, what's some of the things you need to think of if you're starting a travel program? 
I think it's really you start with writing your travel policy and understanding what your culture can bear in terms of cost, in terms of policy compliance. So understanding if you're a culture and you're a company where you want your employees to be well taken care of when they travel and you need them and travel is always an inconvenience. It used to be glamorous. It used to be great. Now it's, you know, 18 hours on a plane and you're sitting in a middle seat and you've got stinky people all around you and you're flying to the worst places in the world. So understand what you need out of it as a company. Understand what your culture will bear. Um, understand what your cost restraints are and use it as a tool within your compensation to your travelers or your employees. So understand that I think is key as a starting point is because it's one of the biggest expenses you'll have other than their salary and their benefits is going to be the cost of travel in the oil and gas industry. It's fourth or fifth most likely other than product. So what we're seeing is build from the policy, understand your culture. How do you want, do you want to retain employees, you know, and how do you keep them happy while they travel? That's a big part of it. So, and build the policy from there. And then look for a company that can support you globally and understands the nuances of the places that you travel, that they have the support and they have the local knowledge of where you're going. Because if they don't, anybody can buy a ticket. I could go on Amazon and sell you a ticket to anywhere in the world. But if I don't know what's going to happen to you when you land there and that it, you know, you're going to fly, I could buy it. I went to Agadir, Morocco. And I, the way I could get there the most economically is I had to change airports in Paris, right? So no, someone can get a ticket with that, and you could be dropped off in the airport in, in Paris and not even understand you have to go to another airport. So you really have to understand the places and the way people are traveling, understand the level of comfort that people are want, you want your travelers to have, um, and then start from there, I think, is the biggest thing. Now, with, you can do... I'm sorry. Go ahead, Patrick. Uh, with an organization like ATPI, and you're... And, to Mark's question, when you're, we're starting out and you're starting to go abroad, what, what would be a minimum company size that you should stop doing it on your own? You should stop just buying your own tickets and look to somebody like ATPI. When, when do you need to bring in outside help? Is there a number of employees level? Is there an amount of travel or is it region based? If you're going to this part of the world, you definitely need help. I think it, where our predominant customer base is, they have probably 60 to 70% international travel. Their travel spend is $50,000 a year or more. The number of travelers is, is kind of irrelevant because it's, it's the class of service you travel and then how much does that mean in your spend. So if I have the ability to take a business class ticket and if you were to buy it online for $7,000 but I have a contract with that carrier and I can buy it for you for $5,000, how valuable is that to your company? So it just it really depends on the type of travel, where you're going, the international versus if you're just flying domestically from here to Denver all the time, Go on Southwest and buy your own tickets. I can't do anything for you. But if you're traveling globally and you're doing international travel, you need some specialists there because it has a lot of nuances. And there's a lot of different ways to get there, especially if you're doing multi-leg trips, things like that. We hold about 700 airline contracts globally that are specifically designed for our business line. And over half of those are specific to the oil and gas industry. So we have marine fares, we have offshore fares that you can only get if you qualify. So you're basically going to and from work on an oil rig or a platform or an on-site, an on, I mean, an onshore installation that's doing oil and gas work. We have some energy fares that are for wind farms and things like that. So we specialize in that and that's what our contracts hold. So these fares have the capability to be completely refundable and changeable with no penalties. They don't, whether you buy it today or you bought it three weeks ago, it's the same price. 
So we work with the airlines specifically as a vendor, and only a few vendors around the world have the kind of contracts that we have. And we're able to provide that savings and that flexibility because we know in the oil and gas industry that plans change at a moment's notice. So when you're buying online or you're doing things yourself and you see your change fees start to really add up, start looking to call somebody like us in ATPI and, and find a company that can help you mitigate that risk and that cost. Yeah, you know, one of the themes that has crept into this show um, that was unexpected but is nice is technology. It seems like no matter what we talk about, what company, there's a technology element. And in your case, it has to be a big technology element. Yeah, so we have our own customized technology, and what we do is we integrate with our clients, um, usually within their ERP systems, to build the traveler profiles, the policies, the financial demographics that need to be, the data points that need to be captured. So we have a great customer, has been a longtime customer of ours. They switched to Workday as their entire ERP software solution. And what we did is we integrate hourly to that solution so that it's feeding us any new employees, terminated employees, any data changes. If you change your frequent flyer number, you do it within your Workday mobile app, that's coming right across to us. Uh, if you have a cost center change, it comes across to us in that reservation. We also have a, a separate feed that goes into the data points that we capture within a reservation. So if you have a WBS code or a rig name or a rig number or a position code that changes. If you're a maintenance guy and you're changing rig to rig all the time and you just you need to build back that travel to a specific division or a specific cost center to that rig, we capture that on an hourly basis from the company. And once you make the reservation or your crew coordinator makes that reservation, they're giving us that data. We're putting it in the travel. When we send that data back to your company for the spend, it automatically is reconciled within the company. So a lot of technology, mobile applications, making sure all your reservations are on your mobile phone, that's huge. We always say take a printed copy. I still to this day take a printed copy, even if I'm flying domestically. Cause Me too. Your it phone, saved your my phone dies and you don't know what you have. So, yeah, a lot of technology. Yeah, it's, um, that's really fascinating because when I think about it that way, so, so, yes, you're helping companies move their people around. Yes, you're a cost to that company. But you're actually using your technology. You're driving efficiencies that they probably couldn't drive themselves internally, right? So that's actually kind of cool. In some ways, you're actually helping them save money besides mitigate risk. Yeah, I mean, our whole goal is to save money. I mean, our, our cost avoidance and, and things like that, we're capturing that every time we make a reservation or we make book a trip for a client. So we can tell them, you know, we have used to be, used to be three or four years ago, where people were fighting for workers, fighting for crew. They were offering business class tickets to the foreman and other different positions. And, and now it's everybody's flying in the back of the plane, back right. of the bus type mentality. But driving cost efficiencies is what we do, tracking unused tickets. You think about it, every time you have a change and you've bought an unrefundable ticket, there's still some value there. So tracking that, doing that, and then being proactive, whether someone's making a booking on our online booking tool or they're doing it through a, a counselor, we're actually proactively asking them, hey, I see you've got $200 on United. Let's use it on this trip. We're saving the company money, whereas if you were buying online yourself and just expensing it, the opportunity for fraud for somebody to just not take a trip, have that unused ticket in their bank under because the ticket's under their name if it wasn't tracked by a company like us, that they could do anything they want. We actually had one we had one company that was buying it back in the heyday, they were buying business class tickets for guys and what they were doing was they would get to the airport, 
downgrade the ticket to economy themselves and pocket the money into their account, and they'd have two or three, four thousand dollars. They take their vacations on it. Yeah, and then when they brought y'all in, y'all figured that out. Yeah, so I mean, that's again, that's the the fraud avoidance and things like that, the cost avoidance, the forensic accounting that we do as a company is also part of the safety and security we're doing to help those companies out and of mitigating fraud. Yeah, and what's cool about it, now that we've talked about this, is this is your core competency. This is what you do, this is what your company does for a living. As opposed to a big operator, they're an oil company, right? They're not a travel company. So it just makes sense for them to outsource something that's not in their core competency to a company that it is their core competency. Yeah, and that's that's where we really come in. We're an outsource pretty much for them in terms of that. We always like it. Our, the best relationships happen when there's somebody within the organization that we're working with that has ownership of travel. We, we've seen it go away with the cost reductions and things. The quote-unquote travel managers don't exist as much anymore. It's gone into a procurement function where they're, they're bu- trying to buy travel like they buy copy paper. And there's, it's so, travel is so, we, we say this all the time, travel is so personal to the person that's actually traveling, <laughs> but it's a commodity to the procurement right. person. And that's, that's where we get kind of caught in the middle. So we've been talking a lot about normal everyday activities, companies have to buy travel, but I want to talk about some of the emergency situations. You have an incident on a, on a platform and you have to get people off or hurricane evacuation, something that's outside the norm. Do you have any examples of how you personally or ATPI handles these mass evacuations when it's a disaster and emergency situation? Yeah, we work very, very closely with companies like International SOS, Control Risks, iJet, that most companies have a pay-per-service type agreement with for medical evacs and things like that. Just for our audience, you mean international insurance? um, Well, ISOS is basically an international, I can't remember what it stands for, but it's you guys will have to international medical and it's, it's i know they did my insurance when i was overseas yeah uh, they do insurance but their repatriation and medical evacuations okay. hostage rescues their control risks is really around the evacuation the bodyguard protections they're around physical protection they're around those types of instances so most large companies have a relationship with one of those companies one of those three companies we work with them, so we are the air. We are a lot of times the air version or the on-ground support to help them with logistics, like getting charter planes done quickly. In an instance like um, an evacuation of a Middle Eastern country, let's say, where we have our client portfolio is all working in the area, we can we can charter a large private jet and then call our customers and say. We've got 85 seats. How many do you need to get your people out? And we'll help them. We work together with our clients to do a lot of evacuations and things like that. So preparing for hurricanes. Big example, hurricane coming into the Gulf of Mexico. I mean, Patrick, you know this from your time on the rigs. You're starting to break down that rig a week in advance. Well, that's going to change your whole crew rotation. It's going to change all the logistics for the next month of what's going to happen. So we work with our clients to look at private jet charters, bus transportation, large hotel room blocks, things like that, and, and working on those evacuations. If we're bringing in people's family, we're doing that. A lot of what we work with, we do um, preparedness drills with our clients where they say, okay, there's been a, a MIRS outbreak in Asia, and we've got all of these travelers and expats there, but here's all the local people we have there. How are we going to get them out of harm's way, or what are we going to do before this happens? Uh, we do drills around active shooters with our clients where someone's at a an only an IADC conference in 
Turkey. Remember the one in Turkey that yeah. got canceled? But there's, let's say that happened and there's an active shooter in that, and you've got 35 employees that are there. How do you get them out? What do you do? How do you communicate with them? We're in those rooms when those drills are taking place. We're talking about the logistics of travel. We're talking about what nationalities in their profile. We've got all their nationalities, and we know who can travel through which countries and can't travel through others um, due to certain restrictions with the visas and the passports and those types of things. So having travel involved in that part of safety and security when you're doing these drills is very, very critical. And with the deterioration of the, the, the quote-unquote historic travel manager role, really outsourcing that to a company like us and using your account manager, your direct contact one-on-one, is vital to making sure those things are successful and you're prepared. Ross, uh, we usually do a safety tip of the week. Um, do you want to? Do you have any advice for our our listeners? Sure. I mean, the biggest thing I would think is leave a copy of your travel documents, your passport, your license, your your visas with someone that you trust in case something happens. Someone else has a copy of that. That's the biggest thing. Um, for females, one of the things that we do is we actually have. Uh, we give out at trade shows and a lot is, is an alarm door stopper. Anybody actually can have it, but we, we provide it mostly to females that travel internationally is take a door stopper with an alarm on it. So if anybody tries to get in your hotel room, it sets off a, an ear shrieking alarm. So for, for 10 bucks or send me a note, I'll send you one, you know, <laughs> we'll send any listener that wants one, one for sure. Uh, but that's, that's the biggest, somebody needs to know where you are at all times. That's probably the biggest safety tip. So leave your itinerary, leave your travel documents, a copy of them with someone else. Yeah, great Red Wing tip, tip of the week. Absolutely. So Ross, well, we're getting close to winding this thing down. Um, one of the things that I'm curious about is, y'all, y'all, you do this in the, in the largest global industry in the world, which is the oil and gas industry. And you have all these different countries, all these different cultures, and all these different variables that you have to deal with personally right this has to be a fun job right because you're you're not ever sitting still uh it's it it used to be a lot more fun before a couple (laughs) years ago when we were not having to worry so much about um like everybody in the oil field we were concerned with cost but it wasn't a driving factor people were making decisions around um, the welfare of the people and the things that made people happier now it's more around you've got to you're lucky you have a job so uh, you're going to fly in the back of the plane. So it's a little more challenging. We face a little more risk that way uh, in terms of us being associated with that. So from a travel management company, we're just doing what the company tells us. Right. Um, we make lots of recommendations, that's for sure. Uh, but it, it's a good job. I've been to a lot of places around the world that I never would have been to before. Um, but I'm always w- ready to come home. Yeah. One of the things I've realized is that it, the grass is not greener. It may look good for a <laughs> few days, but... Getting home to the United States and what you have is fantastic. It's um, For any of our listeners that have not ever left the U.S., you don't realize how good you have it as an American until you go to other countries. And I'm not, I don't mean third world countries and nothing against Greece, but go to Greece. Greece is not a third world country. They live in 600 square foot stone houses that's been passed on a generation and generation. There is no Starbucks in every corner. There is no Home Depot. There is no Lowe's. Right? It's This country is, is very... Um, prosperous, but you don't realize it until you leave the country. You're speaking of Brazil, go to Sao Paulo, go look at the Fajelas, right? It's, it's horrible. People live in cardboard boxes because they have no choice. Um, so, yeah, it is always nice to come home. I, I, I literally was traveling last night, and on the plane I was talking to a guy, and we both said the same thing. It's like when we were younger and we were traveling on the company's dollar, it was great. Now we just want to get the job done and get home. <laughs> yeah, I actually did a trip to Abu Dhabi, and I was in-country 
for 18 hours. It took me longer to get there and back, almost twice as long to get there and back as I was in country. I was just, I was there for a couple of meetings and I came right back. I was, I, it was beautiful, but I had, I just wanted to get home. Yeah, those long plane flights, like to Singapore or Australia or whatever, I mean, just, I just, just want, I don't care if you're flying first class, you're 23, 24, 25 hours in a plane and, uh drink a lot <laughs> you know i uh that doesn't there's a work. lot of funny stories on that too i've been on a lot of planes with crew guys and the funniest thing ever is they'll get on the plane and they'll start pounding and they've been pounding in the lounge but they know exactly how far that they have to fly and how long the time is and then they stop and they go right to bed most of them stop up. there's a few that don't quite <laughs> stop we, we lost a mechanic because he busted out the window of the bus on the tarmac because oh, he decided he needed off that bus right then <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. You can tell you can tell the crew guys, even the ones that aren't wearing the NASCAR logos and stuff. You can tell the guys that get on the planes that are are going to work and they're used to it. They know exactly what they're doing and they're, you know, they know how to get around a lot of things. And that that's the other part of what we do is, you know, the biggest thing around frequent travelers is they know all the tricks. They know how to get upgraded, they know how to buy the ticket, change it last minute so it's a higher fare class so it's more likely to get upgraded. That's what we do too is a monitor that and help with those things. Yeah, good stuff. And yeah, we talked about how great it is here at home. One thing we have here at home is a Red Wing offshore bag. How about we give one of those away? And our winner is Hendrick Wiener with Thess and Krupp Marine Systems. He's an ocean engineer. Congratula- congratulations, Hendrick. If you'd like to win your own awesome Red Wing offshore bag, it's really, really simple. You go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast type in your information takes all of a minute we draw one winner a week and maybe next week it will be you these bags are really cool aren't they patrick they are awesome i've got one i think i was the first winner of the oil and gas this week podcast bag you were the first winner small world now now you're on the you got your own show yes uh that was before mark and i really knew each other that was a complete coincidence <laughs> yeah and so um um, no purchase necessary like i said see official site for rules and, and uh, details redringshoes.com forward slash podcast if you're listening to the show, you should go check out the LinkedIn group. It's All in Gas Global Network, or as everybody likes to tell me, you just type in OGGN. And it, sometimes you forget the name of the show <laughs> or the name of the group because all you type in is OGGN. <laughs> and it's um it's where we're it's where all of our shows live. It's or I shouldn't say live. It's, it's a sister to all of our shows, right? So anything new that we do with this show, anything new that we do with Oil and Gas this week, any new shows that come out, all gets put there first. And then it's a very useful, helpful group of good people that are peers of yours. They're all in the oil and gas industry. Every comment and every person that joins is moderated by a real person, so there's no spam. I've seen um, salespeople trade contacts. I've seen people help each other write proposals. I've seen uh, uh, people um, uh, get marketing uh, help on there. I've actually helped a couple people find jobs. So if you're listening to podcasts, go join the group. You'll be glad you did. Then, Patrick, if they like the show, what should they do? They should review, review, review. We need uh, five-star reviews uh, because the reviews help us out in iTunes iTunes will share our show with more people if we're more highly rated. So your your friends, your colleagues, your peers can find us on iTunes. So we need reviews. And then what do we need, Mark? We also need you to share the show. So share it in your social network, show on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, be that guy that does the all-company email and sends it to the entire corporation. <laughs> Don't um, listen to Mark. <laughs> but Yeah, please, give us some reviews. Help us share the show because we're in growth mode and we need your help. Um, so patrick it looks like we're about out of here ross dude man thank you so much for your time it was great having you on thanks so much yeah ross if they want to find more about you and atpi where can they go to get more information sure they can go to atpi.com we have a full website it's got testimonials from our clients it's got case studies all of that's on there 
Uh, if they want to contact me, it's ross.pratt at atpi.com or on LinkedIn. Is fine. Happy to talk to anybody about it. And if we can help any companies out there, we'd love to talk to you. Yeah, and y'all need to talk to Ross. Trust me, if you've got guys jetting around the world, just at least pick up the phone and talk to him. So, Patrick, you ready to get out of here? Yeah, let's do it, Mark. All right, folks, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Y'all be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond. One of the weirdest things that happened was I was with a client, a drilling company, uh, a, a global drilling company, and we were heading down to interview port agencies in Agadir, Morocco. And to get there, we had to fly on Royal Air Morocco, which I'd never flown on before. Um, now, this is not United, let me tell you. So I'm in line and I'm behind a bunch of guys that have their hard hats on. They're going to work down there. This, they're basically flying into Agadir to get on the, the, get on the helicopter and get out to the, to the vessel. And they're, I'm a big guy. I mean, I'm 6'2", 330. I mean, I'm not tiny. And I'm sitting next to another crew guy that's probably maybe 50 pounds lighter than me. And we're in the row of three seats and there's not an inch of room. <laughs> and this plane is over full. And I'm getting on this plane, and seriously, there was about three, and we both had to sit with our legs spread like this because the, the other seat was so tight. So we had to basically get off the plane and take another plane, about eight of us, because we were too big for the plane. <laughs> and this was like a 737, but they had stuck so many rows in there. And then what we did is actually the client that was with me, their, their, uh, their head of uh, purchasing that was meeting there, they actually ruled that airline out for moving their travel moving their crew because there was no way their guys were going to be able to get on that for that plane on a regular basis that was the craziest thing um that i'd seen from travel side with crew was that here's you know you wouldn't know that if you'd not gotten on the plane you send guys down there and they're yelling at you about what it was that was the funniest thing that that to really understand what's happening with the guys while they're traveling that can't be safe to have <laughs> no. that many people on and a plane it didn't at smell one time. good royal air Morocco did not smell good <laughs>